Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
Because the truth of the matter is that if that is your desire, that is a great uh, little uh, earmark, maybe a, a sign that you are a genuine, true child of God. Because a disregard and a disinterest in the will of God is the surest evidence of pride. Because pride says this. Pride says, no, 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 thank you. I am the ruler of my life. I will be sovereign. I'm going to do what I want to do. And nobody is going to tell me any different. My friend, that is pride. And I will tell you, if you want to mess up 2022, just say those words. Just say, I'm going to do what I want to do for a change. I'm going to do what I want. What my will is, if you if you want to have a screwed up year, then there you go. Just say those words or have that thought in your mind. But you know, the fact of the matter is, if you will do the will of God, God says, I will reward you. Look what it says in, in, in Psalm chapter 19. David sang. By the way, he sang about the Bible in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul that makes wise the simple. And notice what he says in this verse. He says, in the keeping of them, there is great reward. Great reward. Now, I could uh, I could go for that, wouldn't you? I could go for have some a great reward in this coming year. And so today's New Year's message is going to be on discerning the will of God, opening the door of reward so that we can have the best year the Reader's Digest always has some interesting little tidbits. It spoke of a man who called his parents, wishing them a happy New Year. His dad answered the phone and he said, Well, Dad, what's your New Year's resolution? Well, my New Year's resolution, son, is to make your mother as happy as I can all year long. He was proud about that. Then Mom got on the phone and he said, Mom, what's your resolution? To see that your dad keeps his New Year's resolution. <laughs> well, now that probably would be a way to have a good year. But I can guarantee this. If we will do the will of God, we'll have a good New Year. And so would you just pray with me? And would you collect your thoughts and minds? Uh, the roast is going to wait. Uh, or uh, in and out Burger will still be there when we're done. So let's uh, think about these words here this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you bless you and I praise you. I'm so looking forward, Lord, to sharing these truths. That what a what a beautiful passage. What a how it's just instructed me all week long. Thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would convey just even some of the things you've been sharing with me. That Lord, somehow, whether it's a taught or caught, that Lord, you would just give it to these great people and for those that are listening online. We pray in Jesus' name. Go to the book of James, if you would, please. The book of James is a power-packed little book with a big message tucked at the end of the New Testament, written by, or at least the human author, is the half-brother of our Lord. James is a book that says the Christian faith is nothing if it's not translated into shoe leather. This is the shoe leather gospel right here. Let's get up there and let's serve God. And so he begins by telling the real life, really, scenario of a businessman. The idea is that this businessman is going to go, he's going to make a, some money, nothing wrong with that, 
He's going to go out there and he's got a plan. And so this businessman, that's kind of the case study that he begins. And so let's go to James chapter 4, verse number 13. And uh, let's read it out loud. The Bible says there is faith comes by hearing. And I think whether we hear our own self or others, it will build our faith. And so let's try to read through verse 17 together. Here from the authorized version, otherwise known as the King James Version. All right, ready to begin. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. That ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Every true believer has as the goal of their life, the basic thrust of everything they do, I am committed to do the will of God. Sometimes uh, they ask uh, graduating seniors, what are you going to do with your life? Of course, there will be the obligatory, I'm going to be a marine biologist. <laughs> and, uh, there's uh, 40 million marine, marine bi- biologists coming up. But, or I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or um, I'm going to work at uh, Taco Bell, whatever it is. But these are the ideas that we have in our mind. But the thing that we should have as the goal of our life, whether we're 18 or whether we're 88, is I want to do the will of God. Let me give you just a few little thoughts here from Scripture. In that wonderful, busy gospel of the book of Mark, have you ever noticed how that almost every verse in the book of Mark begins with the letter, with the word and, A-N-D. This is a serving gospel. Here, Jesus is clarifying who his kinfolk are. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 35. Whosoever shall do the will of God. If you do the will of God, you prove that you're part of the family tree. The same as my brother, my sister, my mother. It is a proof that we have the same DNA as our Savior We are blood-related when we do the will of God. Why would that be? Well, because Jesus said, I have come to do the will of my Father. In the psalmist, in Psalm 40, he's put it this way. I delight to do. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. For the twice-born believer, it is their pure delight to follow Scripture. Is Scripture a burden to you or a blessing? Do you find the prohibitions in Scripture as something that restrains you or something that frees you? Is it a guardrail to protect you from going off the edge? Or do you feel it like a ball and chain that just won't let me do what I want to do? Folks, to do the will of God should be our delight. Are you happy about doing the will of God in 2022? In that wonderful general epistle in 1 Peter About 30 years after the resurrection of our Lord. So here's Peter for three decades or more. He's been serving God. He gets up there and he gives kind of a a 
shotgun approach to all the believers that are there in the area as well as us these many years later. And he basically says this in this gospel, this uh, epistle. He said, tough times are coming. But, and you need to be careful here. You need to mind your P's and Q's. Don't give the devil a foothold. If you do this, you won't. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. After you have been born again, after you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then no longer should you live the rest of your time in the flesh. Now that you have Christ in you, don't live after the lusts of men. Well, what do I do then? Serve the will of God. That should be the driving force of every believer. And so, just a few reminders as we come to the book of James now, that God wants us to live by the will of God. How do we know and how can we discern the will of God so that we can open up that door for reward? Well, there's four ways in these verses. First of all, by avoiding a presumptuous confidence. By avoiding a presumptuous confidence. Verse 13, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year. And we will buy and sell and get gain. And we will. This is guaranteed. It's the story of a businessman who falsely imagines he can run his own life. He's a believer. He ought to know better. But he's basically living as if God wasn't around. He doesn't really consider what the Bible says. Not really seriously, at least. Uh, praying about a decision. Not really even much caring about how his choices might affect his family or his children or his future or his church. I tell you what, I, I am always amazed at how many people will make decisions and really don't even factor in things like the Bible or their future, sadly. Now, look what he says in verse 13. Come now. <laughs> Come now. What he's saying is, listen up. Get this. This is not a rude way to say it. It's short, kind of curt. But it's like, get this right. <laughs> Don't mess up on this point now. Come now. <laughs> and uh, when you say, come now, we're asking maybe somebody to come. But here it's saying, look, listen up. Ye that say. And that little phrase, say, is a word which is in the present tense, which means you are saying. You are constantly saying this, is what he's saying. Listen up now. You people that are habitually, constantly, just over and over saying, I'm going to do this, and we're going to do this. He said, you've got it all figured out, but you have nothing figured out. Here's your plan. We will go. That's what we're going to do. We're going. Now, let me just give a, a little qualifier here. There is nothing in these verses that is saying it is wrong to do strategic planning. Whether it be, of course, just something we want to do with our time and even with our money or our business. Nothing wrong with strategic planning. That's actually wise. Consider what Solomon cautioned in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 18. He said, every purpose is actually established by counsel or preparation. And with good advice, you make a war. <laughs> Nobody goes to war without planning. And I will tell you, life is a war. <laughs> whether it be just uh, my everyday life or whether we're trying to uh, make money or 
whatever we're trying to do, the fact is we need proper planning. So the problem then in this verse is not preparation, it's lack of attention. Now, these first century Jews, for the most part, were in agribusiness. They either were actually farmers or they were ranchers, mostly sheep. And then, of course, there was all kinds of financial things that were part of that. And so when uh, here this uh, James stood up and spoke to these people, he was saying, look, I know you're a businessman, you're a farmer, you're a rancher. Uh, many of them were merchants, actually. And uh, they were quite successful at their merchants. Uh, the nation was burgeoning. Little towns were springing up. There were trade routes from Egypt to the east. And so uh, Israel was kind of right on the way. And so lots of little towns were springing up. They'd say, oh, boy, have you heard about what's going on over at Damascus or Alexandria? Or have you heard about what's going on over there at Caesarea or Jerusalem? And so people would get an idea. These businessmen, they'd start strategizing. And so they'd talk and they'd say, man, I mean, you can't lose. Well, I tell you what, if you sell sheep feed there in Jerusalem, when they come, they're going to be there. They have to sacrifice. I'm telling you, it's, you can't lose. And so they have all these ideas. Now, folks, the whole point about this whole passage is people that are saying, we are going to do this. We are going to do it, and it's going to happen, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm just going to, I'm going to make this my will. A few days ago, Newsweek, as they do annually, put out a list of the most admired people in the world. Among the women on that list, as you might imagine, number one on the list was Michelle Obama. Queen Elizabeth was also there, a well-known lady. Third, I think, on the list was Oprah Winfrey. Now, understandably, she is admired because she, at least on the surface, appears very likable, generous, for sure, from what I hear, and caring, it would seem like. Many Christians actually follow Oprah Winfrey. The problem is, what many people don't realize is, is that she is much more than a TV host. In fact, she is the foremost proponent of a post modern religion. The idea is that spirituality is a la carte. You can pick and choose from the buffet line everything you want. If you don't want it, you don't have to have it. And it's sad because you actually started out with a very strong foundation in the Baptist church. She's a Christian pantheist. That is, she believes that everything is God and basically all of us are God for that matter. She says that God is whoever you choose Him to be. And let me give you one quote that she said. One of the biggest mistakes, this is an exact quote, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to whatever you call God. Now, folks, here's why I bring this up. Because she embraces karmic Buddhism. That is... By what you do, you bring energy, you bring good to your way. Some have called it the law of attraction. The law of attraction. In fact, there's books written about that. It is a false belief that says, whatever you desire, as long as you just keep saying it, as long as you just keep saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I can will it to happen. I can make it happen. 
Now, friends, I will tell you throughout Scripture, the law of attraction is a lie. And according to Scripture, it is called presuming upon God or tempting God. You may remember what Jesus said to the devil when the devil told him some of the temptations he gave. He said, thou shalt not tempt God. What is tempting God? Tempting God is living however you want to, regardless of what the Bible says, and then expecting God to grant you mercy or love or whatever. That's tempting God. There are two problems with presuming on God. First of all, it leaves God out. Today or tomorrow, we will do this. Uh, excuse me? You're going to do that? You don't care about God? Folks, life is anything but predictable. There is an infinite complex group of forces and events and the people and circumstances that are far beyond our control or anything that we do. The powerful Old Testament King Solomon, who had the resources to make things happen, even said, look, you better not boast because you don't even know what one day, book of Proverbs 27 verse 1, boast not thyself of even tomorrow. Don't even try to predict 24 hours. Because you don't know what a day may bring forth. If we can't even predict one day in advance, then we certainly can't, as James was saying, you can't predict a year out. You can do the will of God, however. The bold Old Testament prophet Elisha, he said God and God alone is in charge of everything, including money and including inflation. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse number 1, Elisha speaking to King Ben-Hadad, the others that were there, there's a terrible famine going on. And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. I mean, it's going to be almost worthless. The best food is going to be almost worthless. Two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And that's exactly what happened. Because there was a windfall of goods that came to them. They went from famine to feast in one day. We think, well, everything is going to be the same. Folks, 24 hours from now, it could be totally different. I remember when we went down to Louisiana and the big hurricane Katrina came in. I mean, in 24 hours, that community went from a normal community to people rioting and up and down the streets looting. I mean, 24 hours. It was just like crazy. Folks, we are like 24, 48 hours from absolute mayhem and bedlam in our country. At any given moment, things could transform in 24 hours. That's why Solomon said, don't even predict what's going to happen in 24 hours. You know, the odds of life are fascinating. We played a little game as a family, uh, one of our little get-togethers over the last couple of weeks here. And it was a game where you take a Christmas present, it's all wrapped, and then uh, they give you uh, oven mittens both hands, and then you have to try to unwrap the present. So you get your chance, it's tightly wrapped, and so you pass it around the little circle there. How long you get to try is how long your partner, until they roll, they take two dice, until they roll a double, like two ones or two twos or whatever like that. And it was fascinating to me to watch how sometimes it took like forever for them to get a double. Other times, the first roll. I thought, isn't that interesting? So, I thought, you know, after the game, we had a lot of fun. I looked at that this week, kind of thinking about this message. 
Do you know what your chances are? And now, folks, don't take this to Reno and get it, make money here. But Some of you folks, I don't trust you. But anyway, um, do you know what your chances are of rolling a double one time? Well, it's actually 16%. To be accurate, 16.67. Or 1 in 6. You have a 1 in 6 chance to roll doubles. Now, to roll 5 doubles in a row, exponentially harder. It's 0.01%. By the way, that's about the same of getting COVID. But anyway, that is uh, that's actually true. One in 7,776. Now, 10 times in a row, 10 doubles in a row. You know what your odds are? 0.000002 or one in 60 million to do 10 in a row. Now, folks, that's only two dice just rolling it. If we can't even control two dice, how in the world can we control an innumerable number of factors? Weather and people and how we feel. Folks, we cannot manage anything. Here in this verse, there were three problems. First of all, a self-managed location. We will go to such and such a city. Really? It's where you plan to go? That's what your plan is? The second problem is a self-managed duration. We're going to continue there for a year. That's what we're going to do. Not only a self-managed location and a self-managed duration, but also a self-managed operation. Then we're going to buy and sell and get goods. Verse 14, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. How do you know what city to go to, what you're supposed to do, how long you're going to do it? Now, again, I say, nothing's wrong with planning. Nothing's wrong with preparation. It is, however, when we feel like we attracted ourselves and we don't need God. The first reason for presuming upon God that's so bad is because we leave God out. Second reason is we're guaranteeing the future. That's the second big problem with presuming on God. This guy was already enjoying his chickens before they were even hatched. I mean, he already had a big old chicken dinner and those chickens weren't even hatched. This guy was, he had it all planned out. I'm going to go to Antioch. I'm going to go there. Man, I'm going to make a killing. Prosperity is guaranteed. I'm sure that's what he told his wife. And yet, she didn't even know he could get to Antioch, let alone go there and hit the mother load. The fact of the matter is, this is presuming upon God. And God warns about presuming on him. David, for example, wisely prayed in Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? Presumptuous sins are doing knowingly what God says you shouldn't do or not doing what you know God tells you to do and then presuming that you'll still be covered by His grace, by His love, by His mercy. Folks, we cannot do wrong, and then somehow assume that somehow God's just going to overlook it. Folks, that is presuming on the mercy of God. David said, God, keep me back from presuming on God. Nobody keeps and holds God ransom. Trust me. God's not going to do what you think just because you think it. Or me. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. God's word is his law. And he said, don't presume that you know better than my word. In fact, one uh, bold author 
said that presuming upon God is the rape of God's attributes. A strong statement. But the idea is that you just force your will on the law of God. It doesn't work that way. Look at verse 14. For what is your life? He goes on to say it's a vapor. That word vapor is the Greek word atmos, A-T-M-I-S. It is, uh, we get our word atmosphere from it. He said it's like a little whiff of smoke or like a cloud in the air. I love watching smoke come out of a chimney. I don't really know why, I just do. <laughs> I love it. I love the smell. But I love watching a little smoke just kind of filter out. But the smoke comes out and you only see it for just a second or two. And then it's whoop, gone. That's what God says your life is like. He said, do you realize that's what life is like? It's like a vapor. I mean, boom, you're here. Boom, you're gone. Job found that out in Job chapter 14, verse number 1. He said, man that is born of a woman, who isn't, is of a few days and full of trouble. There you go. Wow. few days and full of trouble. Man, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, uh, interesting biography right there. You never see that on a, on a tombstone, do you? Few of days and full of trouble. But the fact of the matter is, that really describes the human life. Verse 2, he comes forth like a flower, and then it's cut down. Oh, he's like a shadow that flees away. Oh, how fragile life is. Scripture tells us often. In fact, in Psalm 103, he says, life is like grass. It's here, and then it's gone. In Psalm 90, he said, life is like a breeze that just blows, and then it's gone. In Psalm, or in Hosea chapter 10, God says, it's like foam on seawater. You see it, and then it's gone. Folks, the fact of the matter is, life is short. Don't presume. None of us should presume upon God. There is a second step in discerning the will of God, and that is maintaining a constant dependence. Verse 15. If you want your best life, then right here and right now, just decide, God will be the center of all my plans. For you ought to say this, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We should have as the theme of our life, whatever the Lord wants. By the way, that word there is actually God's desire. Whatever God desires is what I desire. What His will is, is what I want to do. This is not just an unthinking, kind of a customary way of saying, Well, um, the Lord wills. I'll be there if the Lord wills. Not, nothing wrong with saying that, but let's try to mean that for sure. But it's more than just saying it as a little phrase. It's meaning that. If the Lord wills, it's my plan to be there. If it's His desire, it's certainly my intention to be there, and I'm looking forward to it. If the Lord wills. That's kind of the thought. Now, whether we say it or whether we don't say it, that should be the thought in our mind. But here it says you actually should say it. You ought to say. Now, I don't know that we have to actually say it every time. I don't know that's what Scripture is saying. But I think what he is saying is occasionally you should say that. I think you should say that for yourself to hear. I think you should say that for your family to hear. I think your family needs to hear you say, if that's what the Lord's will is, that's what we will do. That's the Lord's will. Well, how do you know what the Lord's will is? Thankfully, everybody can know what the Lord's will is because 99% of the Lord's will is found in Scripture. That's the revealed will of God. The specific will of God, some little specific nuance. Uh, we can depend on the precious Holy Spirit to lead us through 
his cautions or through his leadings. But for the most part, really, you can pretty much live 99% of your life just by studying the Scripture. That's why God says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Study the Word so that you can know the revealed will of God. As you know the revealed will of God, then you are living in the Lord's will. If the Lord desires, that's what I'm going to do. God says you should live with this flexibility, whatever God wants. Now, if you're a person like me that likes to schedule everything down to some pretty small little increments, that can be tough because you have to kind of let God, you know, be the Lord and you have to give him veto power, whatever you say. Here's what the great Solomon said as he watched it over the years. Psalm, excuse me, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 9, he said, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. My eyes are on the Lord, but he's the one that directs my individual steps. That's some pretty small increments, isn't it? Steps. That's not big. Some of you have some pretty long strides, and you know, you maybe you step three feet, you know, you're a perfect yard. Other folks are smaller, but. The fact of the matter is, God is willing to direct your steps. Isn't that interesting? It's smart to let Him do that because life is a, is a war zone. There's a lot of mines out there. Growing up, a young all-American boy, I watched my share of war movies, World War II movies, The Guns of Navarone, Dirty Dozen, things like that. But, but they were, it was always nerve-wracking some of that infantry would go through uh, a field where there were landmines. And I was always so nervous. Oh, don't walk without, you know, checking. And, <laughs> you know, I was there on the edge of my seat. Watch out, you're going to blow yourself up. And, oh, I was always thankful when a minesweeper would go first. And that guy would have that big old thing, you know, uh, go out there on the field and he would find, oh, stop. Everybody stop. And then they'd disarm that. Did you know that God is our minesweeper? <laughs> he goes before us with that big minesweeper, and He is helping us avoid so many landmines. God has a path through the landmines of life. It's called His will. And if you will do His will, you will avoid so much trouble. Now, trouble happens to all because we're human. But the fact of the matter is, I want it to be a God-ordained adversity or trial to strengthen me or to give me a testimony, whatever. Not one that I was so stupid, I made, I made the mess myself. How many would have to say this morning, if you thought about it, you would have to say, you know what, as I look back over life, God has sure helped me and blessed me. I have dodged some bullets over life. Maybe a job. Thank God, you never got that job. <laughs> Whew, man, hallelujah. That would have been a terrible job. Or a person, praise Jesus, that you didn't marry. <laughs> you, know, you look back and say, oh man, glory to God, I didn't marry that person. Or a house, to God be the glory, you didn't get. You know what God was doing? God was sweeping the minefield. He was giving you His grace. He was prompting you. He was giving you cautions. And you just pulled back. God's sweeping the minefield. God's just keeping the landmines out of your life. God says, if you'll, if you'll just let me, I'll, now if you want to, you can just 
go ahead, run through that field on your own, and you're going to blow yourself to smithereens. You're going to mess things up. Don't do that. The godly apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest New Testament Christian, gave us a wonderful outline in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 6 and 7. Not with eye service, but with, not as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. Notice the three steps in accomplishing the will of God. First of all, doing. Look at verse number 6. Doing. Doing the will of God. Too many people are learning the will of God. God says do the will of God. I mean, people spend all their life just trying to find the will of God. Um, Excuse me. Just do the will of God. There's so many things we do know to do. Not only doing the will of God, but willing. Doing the will of God from the heart. Now, we've all heard of course corrections, and sometimes we have to make them. But what we really need sometimes is just an attitude correction. We need to do the will of God from the heart. It is not a bad thing to do the will of God willingly. You remember what the apostle said? He said, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't, I mean, it's all right to give either way. Like they said, God loves a cheerful giver. The pastor loves any kind. But, you know, the... God wants us to have a heart that is full of love and of grace. We ought to be, first of all, doing, second of all, willing, and third of all, honoring about the will of God as to the Lord. And when we do it as unto the Lord, we're just like Jesus. Because in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus right up front said, I came into this world to do the will of God. And so, if I were to ask you this morning... What is, your, what is your resolution for 2022? I think the easiest and the best answer would be simply this. I want to do the will of God. In 2022, I want to do the will of God. How does that look? It looks like doing. It looks like willing. And it looks like honoring. Number three, how, if we want to do the will of God, discern it, have a life full of reward, then I want to foster a humble avoidance. <laughs> you talk about arrogant. We humans, first of all, blow off the will of God. No, I'm in charge of my life. We assert the place of God and then of all things, start bragging about how smart we are. Folks, that is really not good. <laughs> bragging to God how smart we are, whew, you are just looking for trouble. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil, but now. That actually could be translated, fact is, you're a boaster. That's the fact. You're a boaster. You say, well, wait a second. Rejoicing is evil? What? Why does the Bible say rejoicing is evil? Pastor, is there something wrong with rejoicing over success? No, of course not. Nothing wrong with rejoicing over God-given success. In fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4, Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Twice, just in case you didn't get it. You need to live a life of rejoicing. But what he's talking about here is evil rejoicing. There's a good rejoicing, a proper rejoicing, and an evil rejoicing. In Psalm 44, verse 8, the sons of Korah had a proper rejoicing. 
In God, we make our boast all the day long. That's good boasting. If you're going to boast, boast about how good God is. But then there's an improper boasting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, after saying, we have received everything from God, then Paul says, why do you boast? In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, why do you boast as though you didn't get everything from God? Why do you act like you are the one that brings everything your way? There's a powerful example of what I'm talking about. Everybody's heard it. It's the famous short poem of William Ernest Henley. He was a British poet about the turn of the 19th century. It's known as Invictus. Invictus is Latin for unconquered. Let me read it to you. You've all heard it many a time, I'm sure. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be, really, my for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, oh really, House charged with punishments the scroll. Hmm, interesting. I am the master of my fate. Oh, really? I am the captain of my soul. Empowering stuff, isn't it? And it's been used. Even Winston Churchill quoted part of that in the Second World War. But I will tell you, friends, you need to understand this man actually is mocking Scripture. He gives testimony to knowing there's a God, but not who he is. He even testifies straight the gate. He's talking about Scripture. And I have no fear of punishment. You really have no fear of punishment? Well, I will tell you, you may think you're unconquerable, but I will promise you, if you think you're unpunishable, you are barking up the wrong street. Folks, that's why God says, all such rejoicing is evil. That is an evil thought to think that I can do what I want to do. And in case you're wondering what God thinks about that, the word evil, this is not just like, that's not a good idea. No. The word evil there is the same root as the word porneia. You know what porneia is, right? Well, it's used in Scripture for fornication. It's our word for pornography. God said anybody that boasts that they can rule their own life is like a pornographic, wicked, just the most terrible Immoral that you can think of. That's immoral. That is wicked. Folks, God said don't live like that. That is just as bad as pornography. Number four. All right, we are discerning the will of God. We are avoiding a presumptuous confidence. We are maintaining a constant dependence. We are fostering a humble avoidance. And then finally, we are having a clear conscience. Now, it is one thing to miss the will of God because you don't know the will of God. It's quite another to miss the will of God because you and I are willingly ignorant. Basically, we're lazy in the things of God. Verse 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, I mean, you're not oblivious to the Scripture. You've been taught it. You've been raised in America. You've been raised in a home. To him that knoweth to do good, 
and doeth it not, folks, that's sin. And God just calls it like it is. That's sin. Now, maybe you've heard of someone, maybe you've said it yourself, in a moment of genuine accountability, there's no excuse, I know better. The other day I read a quote by superstar Tom Brady. They had lost the game. He was not happy. He felt like he had blown it. I like what he said. He said, no excuses, no denial. We let down our guard. Basically, he was taking responsibility. And that's what God is saying here. He is saying, you need to take responsibility for the will of God. (laughs) Don't blame it on the fact that nobody loves you. Don't blame it on the fact you don't have enough money or enough time or whatever. Don't blame it on the fact that you would do better, you know, if you just had this or that. Folks, he said, to those who know what's right and don't do it, no excuses. Take responsibility. He said, to know what to do and to not do it, that's sin. I mean, let's just call it like it is. To know what to do and to not do it, folks, puts us in a precarious place. Now, here's what uh, I will tell you, folks. You need to know this. It's been my experience over 50 plus years of ministry that God grants mercy on the basis of our knowledge. The more you know, the less the wobble room, the less the the leash uh, He gives you. To Him that knows what to do and does it not, to them it is sin. Now, thank God, praise the Lord, to be sure, thank the Lord, God never disciplines any of us as we really deserve. Thank the Lord for that. Look what Psalm 103 verse 10 says. He has not dealt with us after our sins. Folks, thank the Lord for that. Amen. Because if God dealt with us for every bad attitude, every bad thought, every action, we'd be, all of us would be zapped at about the next two minutes. (laughs) We'd be gone. Because the fact of the matter is, we often don't do the will of God. Nor has He rewarded us according to our iniquities. However, that does not mean we can't know and do the will of God. You'd say, well, that's what, he's, that's what this verse is saying. No, what he's saying is that you can know the will of God and we should do the will of God. Now, there are at least three things that we know in Scripture are the will of God. There, there's others, and you can go through Scripture and find every time it talks about the will of God. Let me give you three of them, first of all. It is God's will, number one, that every person be saved. That's God's will. First Timothy verse two and verse number four or chapter two and verse four. Who will have, who will, that's God's will, all men to be saved. God wants all men to be saved. Now I know if you listen to these left wing socialists, these anti God atheists, they will say, Hey, whatever floats your boat, you know, I mean, whatever God you choose. But God's not that way. He said, No, everybody needs to be saved. They need to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Folks, a person does not accept Jesus Christ. That is not just a bad decision. That's disobedience. That's why the uh, epistle said we ought to obey the gospel. That's not doing something to get saved. It's just it is obedient to trust in Christ. That's what he's saying. 
And so, folks, it is God's will that everybody be saved. Second of all, it's God's will that everybody be filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise. Don't be unwise. Be understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody should yield their life every moment to the Holy Spirit so that they can do the will of God. Here in these verses, God's will and the power of the Holy Spirit is contrasted with drunkenness. He says, never be under the control of alcohol. And you're not going to, I'm not going to cut it easy on that one for you. Never be under the control of alcohol. That's what he says in these verses. Rather, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That will change the way you walk, just like alcohol changes the way you act. The Holy Spirit will truly change the way. And you can walk according to God's will. God wants us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be saved. Be filled. And then number three, be washed. God expects moral purity out of His people in 2022. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3. This is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Well, even your sanctification. Now let me clarify, he says. You should abstain from fornication. It's God's will that people that are not married should abstain from any kind of sexual activity. That's, uh, that's the doctrine of Scripture. And when you are married, you should certainly abstain from any extramarital sexual activity. And so what he says is we ought to have practical holiness. Now I know many people today are tired of the mundane lives. They feel like they deserve to be happy and maybe they're looking for some excitement or perhaps you're trying to cover some emotional pain or you feel neglected and so then armed with all of the power of the internet you search the world for happiness. And I promise you Nobody has ever found happiness in a hookup. Now, I know there are a lot of good Christian, or several maybe I should say, Christian dating apps. And they can be a real blessing to a serious-minded Christian single. But friends, be very careful. The vast majority, the overwhelming majority of all those uh, apps and all those social media sites are junk. In fact, even worse. You go down one of those lanes, you go down one of those places, my friend, that tiny spark will turn into a roaring fire that will put the camp and the Dixie fire to shame. It is a wildfire. Nobody can control it. And I will tell you, just stay away. That's why God said, abstain from that. Folks, God has called us to moral purity. Too many Christians are running around saying, oh, I just really wish I knew the will of God. Well, first of all, let's make sure we're saved. Second of all, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And third of all, let's live a moral life. God has asked us to live a moral, pure life. The will of God for 2022, here's what it is. If you want to open the door of reward, here's how we do it. God, today, I yield myself to you to do your will. I purpose to do your will in my marriage, in my life, in my finances, in my church, in my serving the Lord. There are four big areas I think every Christian should be concerned about. First of all is the Word of God. 
Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you uh, loving it? And uh, many of that oftentimes comes by just being faithful in church. Every time the doors are open, just be there. And that will help you in that area. And then, of course, doing it personally. The second area is prayer. The Word of God, then prayer. Just, folks, have a vibrant prayer life. Get a prayer list going. Pray for this and that. I mean, there's so many wonderful things. You can change the world by prayer. I'm telling you, it is a powerful tool. And then uh, witnessing, inviting people to church. That is such an important thing to do, uh, just to, to be good at sharing the gospel. Just spend your life just trying to make a difference. It might be just little bits here and there, but at least try. Everybody could maybe pass out a tract or an invitation. And so, and then the fourth area. So we're doing the Word of God. We're doing prayer. We're doing evangelism, witnessing. And the fourth area, these are the four biggies in a Christian's life. The fourth area is your church life. Have a church-centered family, a church-centered marriage. Be a vibrant Christian. Just be there. That's why the Apostle Paul said, Don't forsake the assembling as some is. Be there. Be there. Don't let fear, don't let anything keep you from being there and serving God. That is the will of God. Someone wrote these words. And I appreciate them. I'll share them with you. It's called, I am the new year. I am the new year. I am an unspoiled page in your book of time. I am your next chance at the art of living. I'm your opportunity to practice what you have learned about life during the last 12 months. All that you sought and didn't find is hidden in me, waiting for you to search it, but with more determination. All the good that you tried for and didn't achieve is mine to grant when you wait on the Spirit's enabling. All that you dreamed but didn't dare to do, all that you hoped but did not live, all the faith that you claimed but did not have, these slumber lightly, waiting to be awakened by the touch of a strong purpose in God's way. I am your opportunity this new year to renew your allegiance to Christ, who said, Behold, I make all things new. I'm glad that we have a new year and a fresh year to do the will of God. Amen. And now it's your chance. Let's bow our heads, if you would, please. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.